Hola. Welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we explore the science, the stories and the strategies of getting out of our comfort zones so we can find where the magic happens for us. Today I'm chatting with Bailey McCormick, aka Fanciforia Foxglove. Bailey's a whole lot of things, but above all, she's a performer in her pursuits, but also in life in general. Fanciforia Foxglove is who she steps into as one of New Zealand's leading and most experienced burlesque performers. And I'm sure the idea of performing burlesque makes a few of you guys uncomfortable. It makes me a bit uncomfortable to imagine myself up there on stage. Bailey, however, thrives on the challenge and does so despite already having had a hip replacement. Um, and she is just the tender age of 30 at the moment. Today, we chat about burlesque and the love of performance and what's led Bailey there. We chat about optimal anxiety, how it drives performance up, as well as about the other type of anxiety that drags things back down. Bailey and I discuss how we try and keep an even keel through life with some modicum of balance in there. Uh, We talk about why it's so important that the things you pursue come from inside you rather than from someone else. Um, We talk about why Kiwi guys don't tend to come up and have a chat with Bailey in the street. We talk about why you should crank your version of yourself up and just magnify that out to the world. And also we chat about why she's terrified to drive a car. Uh, and again, today we're supported by the guys over at How to Make Simple Videos. If you guys are looking to uh, kickstart your video game or, or up your video game, then head over to www.howtomakesimplevideos.com. Uh, they've got a great beginner's course there to make simple yet professional videos. Um, and also, for listeners of the show, they are giving people a hundred bucks off the course to start with, as well as kicking us a little bit of commission change on on each sale. So if you go over to howtomakesimplevideos.com and enter the discount code uncomfortable, that's howtomakesimplevideos.com and enter the discount code uncomfortable, you'll get a hundred bucks off, but also you'll be well on your way to making simple yet professional videos. Probably enough preamble for you guys today. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with Bailey and I. Inviting me in today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, to start with, I usually like to ask people: Can you give us a bit of background about yourself? Where Where you're from? Where you grew up? Were there any kind of big formative experiences in your youth that have mm. shaped you into the person uh, that you are today? So, a nice, easy question to get going. Oh gosh, buckle in. Do we have three hours? No, no, well, I won't. Could I'll, do. I'll give you the shortened version. Um, well, uh, I was yeah, I was born in little old Invercargill, um, but I moved away from there um, at a young age. So Before you started to learn to roll your ass. That's right. I lost, I quickly, I moved to Hawke's Bay and I, within probably the first week, learned to unroll my ass because I got <laughs> so sick of the kids saying, say burger, and I'd be like, burger, girl. <laughs> and um, yeah, I lost that little cute Invercargill flair, but Still have the love of um, cheese rolls. <laughs> um, yeah, so moved to Hawke's Bay. I went to a Rudolf Steiner school in Hastings there. So um, that was probably a formative experience because it was an alternative school and the other kids at normal schools always seemed to have interesting ideas about what we got up to. <laughs> um, it had a reputation of being a um, sort of greeny, hippie school, which is 
probably somewhat true, but we didn't smoke weed with the teachers or do underwater weaving or all the other crazy rumours that that went round. Um, so, yeah, in terms of education, that was really – it worked for me because I'm a very creative person, um, and that type of education just really fosters sort of um, just exploring creativity and mm. putting things like um, – Drama and history, and on, on this on an equal playing field to calculus and science. And, yeah, yeah. For the people that um, don't know too much about the the Rudolf Steiner schools, can you yeah. give like a bit of a snapshot Ooh. of what they're about? Okay, I'll give it a go. So it's a it's a holistic approach to learning. It was um, developed by a guy called Rudolf Steiner, and, um, a German guy who was like a philosopher. He kind of had something to say about everything, you know, um, and he. The concept was that it was um, an adaptable form of education that could almost be applied to any kind of religion or just culture. It was one of the first schools, I think it was actually the first school in South Africa that had um, um, black kids and white kids all together. Um, And yeah, in New Zealand, it's sort of like, it really does depend on the school. Like Rudolf Steiner is a philosopher, but then each school has its own kind of you know, I guess adaptation of his learnings. We we don't do NCA, so then very much not again, uh, not into exams, teaching to the exam. You have to um, basically you learn everything. So when you're in high school, you don't choose subjects. You learn you learn everything. But the concept is that you don't have to be good at everything. You just have to give it a give it a whirl, um, and you stay with the same class all the way through. So you're you're there with um, kids and kids come and go of course you know you, people leave and other people come in halfway through but essentially you are with the same group of people from the age of seven all the way to 18 which is pretty amazing mm, mm. Um, and there's yeah certain aspects of it like they um, are very much like learning through play at, at that early stage like the Steiner kindergartens are really popular because um, nowadays because it's sort of an interesting – yeah, I think that education is sort of changing away from that numeracy and literacy at the early stages to just learning through social interaction and play and hand-eye coordination, that kind of thing, as a foundation, and then numeracy and literacy can kind of come later. And, and you learn a lot through imagination and storytelling at those early years. Um, some things that a lot of people will find – quite unusual about a Steiner school is that you don't learn to read and write until you're seven. Okay. Which is a few years later than mm. the standard. Um, and some parents just can't cope with that <laughs> and, and that's a turn off for them. Um, and, but uh, it, for me it makes sense, I think, because basically they're laying the foundations and then once you get to it, a few years later, kids are just ready to... Rock and roll with Rock it. And roll. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I was I was practicing writing before I before yeah. I went to school. I actually went to a um, when I was in Invercargill, I went to a Catholic school mm-hmm. to start with. Oh, yeah. And um, I so I actually knew how to read and write and I went to the Steiner school and I was like, What are these things? What's <laughs> going on? But I got uh, like very quickly I, and I was naturally I was a good Reader, um, you know, English is sort of my strong point. Maths, not so much. So um, uh, I was sort of in in the top level at that point. But then the kids in my class very quickly started, like they they just picked it up so quick. Yeah. I was absolutely amazed. Mm. And then suddenly we were. I was, It was more sort of like I was just in the mix with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I I was brought up through the the Catholic Catholic school system uh, in yeah. primary school. So. Mm. Pompelia Convent in Kaitaia and then St. Uh, wow. Francis School in Thames. So yeah, reading, reading and writing was was super important, yeah. uh, especially back in the in the eighties. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, going to the Steiner schools and really kind of getting a chance to explore and try a whole lot of different things. Mm. Um, do you think that's kind of helped shape your creativity to the way you are today? I think so. Yeah. I mean. I was a theatre nerd at school. You know, I was the serious actor in the mm. class, I guess. And um, and putting on plays was a huge part of the curriculum. 
Um, we would probably do one at least one a year, and then I started doing theatre outside of school as well. And um, yeah, I think it just they if everyone was encouraged to like just be in the play, give it a go. You don't have to be mm-hmm. good at everything. It was just about participation, um, and so that worked for me because that was just where my passion was, and and they there was so many opportunities to um, to sort of like just be part of a production but also I I think I was as a teenager and you're trying to find your way in the world you know theatre is such an interesting way to explore the world because you're exploring these sort of universal themes about life and you're holding the mirror up to society as as the Mm. term is so I was I guess I was kind of um, using theatre as a way not just to get stage time and you know but just to kind of explore these wider themes um, in the world and about and who I was as a person and society. So, um, yeah, I really am thankful for that for those, for that part. And also in the same vein, like having to do sports was not really <laughs> um, like there was a downside to having to do being being made to do things um, and having to you know play a basketball game. I was just like, oh. but it was actually like looking back on it, I'm glad that. Because if I was given the choice, I just wouldn't have done. Mm. I wouldn't have done those things. And there's and there's some things that I probably didn't think I would be good at or would like. That just being encouraged to just get in, get in, get amongst it, and you don't have to um, be good at it straight away or be good at it at all. But you know, just try something new. I think that were, that's a really important thing for life. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And I think there's, as you say, there are a lot of things that we kind of, we had preconceived ideas about, mm. even as, even as kids that were like, mm, nah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be into that. I'm not gonna like that. So yeah. we kind of, we don't move towards it or, or we even sort of actively shy away from it. And yeah. I think we, one of the, one of the things I really think is important is to be curious and to try new things and mm. actually having, being able to do that in a supportive environment like you did and yeah you're not going to like everything but sometimes you don't know that you don't that you will or won't like it until you actually give it a go yeah and see what it's see what it's like well we have I think yeah especially as adults we have a lot of unlearning and unpacking that we have to do to get to that space again like I Mm. think a lot about um sort of like gender norms and gender stereotypes especially about girls girls and boys learning um because there's a lot of preconceived notions that boys are naturally good at this and girls are naturally good at that or whatever and I think that a lot of that is just crap especially when it comes to maths for example and you know like that and I think girls uh, sort of and boys like we're just through society like society has conditioned us to put ourselves in boxes and I think that with um, with learning that 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 can be a real detriment, and and because you you just are writing something off straight away, um, and it sort of becomes a self fulfilling prophecy in a way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think I mean, unfortunately, I probably do fit into the stereotype I of male well. learning. It's like I'm good at maths and science, I know. Um, and you know what? I'm good at English. Yeah. And and history and I hated maths and science but mm-hmm. I remember my teachers being like forcing me to go into the into the higher maths class because they I think because I was a real girly swat nerd <laughs> in a way that they were like oh well of course you like you're such a you know you get good marks in all these other areas and like mm. you you need to be in this class and I was just like no I don't like it but um but I think if I just let that go a little bit more, like, and just actually tried to, um, just tried to nut it out, and, and and I think I suffered back then. I suffered from um, that I was being a bit of a perfectionist. Like, if I didn't get it right the first time, then I would just forget it. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. interesting to reflect on. On the school years, <laughs> mm, it is. It is. If we move on a little bit from the school years, yes. so what did you? What did? What did you do after school? Um, where well, did where'd you go? So I was a theatre nerd. I um, had I um, had the great opportunity to go and perform in Edinburgh with a drama group. Fell in love with the place and performing, and um, I studied theatre and politics at university. Um, 
because I was told to study what I enjoyed. And cool. then I did, and it turned out to be a strange BA. <laughs> but everyone yeah, would say, yeah. oh, that's a weird mix. And for me, I was like, they're exactly the same. <laughs> mm. I was very interested in political theatre at the time, so I guess that made sense. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I- can definitely see a lot of similarities between yes. the between the two, and, um, and I'm, in, I'm intrigued by the theatrics of politics too, mm. especially during election time. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, and but also the the politics of theatre would yes. be interesting as well, and you'd get an interesting insight into each of those topics, looking at it through the lens of the other one. Exactly, they did complement each other quite well. Yeah, so um, yeah, so I went on to study and. And then just got out into the workforce. Clearly, I didn't necessarily find a job that fitted. <laughs> <laughs> Do most people with BAs? Probably not. Um, and through theatre, I fell into burlesque, which is now my main, I guess it's my my main side gig. I yeah. do have a day job. But um, burlesque is like, I've been doing that for about five years, and it's a... It's be, it's more than a hobby, not quite able to make it a full-time thing. It's very hard in New Zealand. The industry is just mm. too small. The population yeah. is too small to sustain it. But, um, but you know, I treat it like it's a small business, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. a, what do they call it? What's it in term? A side hustle. A side hustle. That's, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of many side hustles. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit more about how you, how you got into burlesque? So yeah. it was... Was it again just a hey? I want to here's something I want to give it a go. It looks interesting. Um, and sort of, it's an interesting story actually. So I was doing a play at the time, and um, like a good little actress. Well, okay, I'll talk a bit about the play. So the play was about it was sort of based on a vaudeville troupe in the 1900s, and um, I was cast as a burlesque performer in the play. I knew a little bit about burlesque. I'm very much a vintage style person so I love to dress op shop in op shop clothes and I'm obsessed with the Hollywood MGM era Hollywood um so I was I had been become aware of burlesque um was excited to be cast as a burlesque performer thought shit I better learn what this thing is so I went along to classes and suddenly it was like I had a light bulb epiphany angels coming out from the sky (laughs) moment where I thought this is what I actually want to be doing. I am a performer. I thought that that was acting, but what it actually was was burlesque. It was like a confluence of, you know, I loved the aesthetic and the style and the history of it. Um, I liked the theatricality of it. I liked that I could create my own act and my own costume and my own hair and makeup and be be in charge of the whole end-to-end process. Whereas Mm -hmm. as an actor, you're just kind of, someone's muse in a way yeah um and so I kind of fell into it I was a ready-made performer in terms of being very confident on stage already and and having the language of theater I guess to work with in my tool belt um and then I just kind of yes started doing classes did like a graduation show got asked to be in another show got asked to be in another show I just kind of very I didn't really plan like right now I'm a burlesque performer I just was like I love this new thing I'm learning about it and then it very organically just five years later, I'm, you know, like, am one of the more experienced performers in New Zealand, I guess. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I, kind of, I kind of hit it at that point in 2009, 10, where it was really just, in New Zealand, it was just blossoming. Um, and so I hit it at that perfect time where there weren't that, there were some burlesque performers, but not that many. And so there was a lot of opportunities to perform too. And... Yeah, and now here I am. <laughs> yeah, awesome, yeah. awesome. And actually, I want to I want to ask you as well about um, Fanciforia Foxglove yeah. and how <laughs> that came about. Like, uh, okay, so the play I probably didn't mention that my mum, the play that I'm talking about, my mum wrote it. Oh, really? <laughs> and she came up with the name Fanciforia, which is a completely plucked out of thin air, made up, fantastical name. Yeah, and I liked it because because of that and I didn't want to I didn't want it to be a lot of burlesque performer names you get like your um you know like Rosie Daiquiri and da-da-da, and they, Bella this and da-da, and it's they're very kind of like 
they're out there in the world, you know, like a, there's plenty of Bellas out there, mm. for example. So I wanted it to be a completely made-up thing. And um, and then I – the foxglove part was inspired by just foxglove the bar. And mm. I like I like alliteration. So I just went, fancy for a foxglove. I just wanted it to sound very fantastical. And everyone calls me fancy for short, which kind of yeah. works because – works in with the persona like everyone in the burlesque you know like my burlesque friends yeah um i've tripped up many an mc you said it beautifully thank you thank you <laughs> um so many i've been called all sorts of versions of floria and <laughs> and they you can see them looking at the sheet they're going <gasps> having a panic attack when they have to say it like, i um, should have prepped this better <laughs> i know and i and part of me is like oh i should have chosen it easier an easier name but it's too late now <laughs> Yeah. So was that the, the the name that you chose? Was that right at the start that you you oh, picked yeah. that out for you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, part of burlesque is you very seldom would have your real name. You, mm. It's a persona, you know. Yeah. And it's meant to be really kind of over the top. Yeah. And you know, burlesque is is very. It's like drag, you know. It's very like it's a sister to drag. Yeah. I see it like it is. It's um. It's kind of a comment on, on like, gender politics in a way as well, and and it's because it's like you're just being a heightened version of femininity. Well, you don't have to be. You could be a heightened version of masculinity, or mm. you could be like somewhere in between. Um, but it's the the main thing that you'll see with burlesque is it's very it's not it ain't realism. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, but you know it, it's. Yeah, it's meant to be fun, fantastical, confronting, yeah. grotesque, all of those things. Yeah. And how does how does Fanciphoria compare to Bailey? Is <laughs> like, what have you changed aspects of your persona when you step into her, uh, or is it just kind of an amplified version of yourself? It's, yeah, it's not an alter ego. Yeah. Um, I'm not a shy person <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm quite an extrovert so Fansephoria is um yeah she's a heightened version of myself I guess mm-hmm. I don't even even just saying she feels weird like me you know yeah but um but also because I'm uh you know came from an acting background I would kind of play with a lot of different characters so, so when I'm performing sometimes I'm doing a like I have an act inspired by Lucille Ball so that's Fanciphoria doing the Lucille Ball, essentially. Um, or sometimes I'm Brian from the Backstreet Boys, and because and <laughs> yeah. I've also produced a show called Lip Sync Battles. So sometimes I just take the weird forays into pop culture. Um, mm. So I kind of like have character. Yeah, I'm definitely more of a narrative character performer than, um, say, a high-kicks showgirl dancer, because... I can't do any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later because okay. I think that would be interesting. So, yeah. Um, what a what effect has performing burlesque had on you as a person and you just your day to day life? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I guess because with burlesque, like uh, with me getting into burlesque, it also kind of amplified my my personal style. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love to dress like I'm just some 50s, 60s Hollywood starlet and I like to walk down the street and be the one that stands out and just because I can, I do it for myself. I just like to, I just like to bring a bit of theatrical flair to everyday life. Um, so I guess in that sense, people see me, people come and talk to me in the street and ask me about style or, you know, so it, it kind of opens me up to be approached by people mm-hmm. um i've had um i find men find me intimidating <laughs> yeah. sometimes um which if they probably talk to me they would find that i'm quite chatty and yeah chilled but um just men in general or men with guys yeah. not you're not so much the european men <laughs> yeah i think the european men are a little bit more kind of open to it but i find yeah i find typical kiwi guys can find me um their first impression of me from a distance is that they're they don't really know what they're in for yeah yeah Yeah. um and that is kind of funny but also kind of just annoying (laughs) sometimes it's just like oh come on guys you know i'm not that scary yeah well (laughs) if we're talking about that what would your advice to them be (laughs) 
just I don't know. Like I'm still I'm still a person at the end of the day. Yeah. Like I, I think they just can't get past the just because Kiwis are so casual with their mm-hmm. dress sense, mm-hmm. normally especially Wellingtonians sort of like yeah. so if I'm putting myself out there in like some crazy outfit, I think that's just they just don't really know what yeah. to do with it. So I, I think just be curious, you know, just yeah. like, hey, yeah. so you know, like tell me about the the style that you have. I don't know. It's just like <laughs> just a sense of curiosity. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. don't. Yeah. I think that's probably not a question that many Kiwi guys will be great at asking. <laughs> so, the style that you're wearing today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is great while topic for a podcast. Yeah, while you're standing there in my stubbies and jandals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, that's a very – the overseas listeners may not get that, <laughs> that part of it. That's a niche, yeah, niche yeah. joke. Yeah. Um, cool. I have just <laughs> – I've Sorry, just mind, mind you. blank. You've thrown me there. You've thrown me there. That's all, that's all right though. I, well, I don't think I, I'll edit that out. Um, so actually, with with burlesque and being up and performing for most people, I'm I'm assuming that's going to be a relatively confronting concept to mm. them, and that would be something that makes them very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've been doing it for quite some time now, so I'm, I'm assuming that you're pretty comfortable with most of the stuff that you do. Maybe yeah. every now and then there's a new challenge that comes along that you're like, "Well, I've got to overcome this." Yep, yep. But yeah. when you start, when you started out, mm. did you find that confronting performing in a, in um, a burlesque style? Not. Uh, <sighs> Not really, to be honest. Like, I found it exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people who don't really know what burlesque is, who might be listening, it is the art of tease. So there is some, like, el- there's strip elements to it. Um, you don't get fully naked. Um, but, yeah, so most people would be terrified maybe to just even step on a stage and open their mouth mm-hmm. or dance or do anything on a stage. Add the layer of removing clothes and a lot of people could not even dream of doing that. Mm. <laughs> um, but I was, you know, I already was very comfortable on stage. Um, and I've always been pretty confident in my own skin. Um, so there was a little, like, on stage, when I first started out, I um, would not, um, you know, like I'd keep a corset on or, I, I wouldn't go completely fully down to what I do now. Um, I think it was a progression, you know, it's mm-hmm. just baby steps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never f- had that that crippling fear of, oh, my God, I'm, yeah. you know. Um, like, I just thought about, like, I wear less at the beach. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a body's just a body. <laughs> yeah, was there a bit yeah. of, like, obviously not the crippling fear, but was there a little bit of sort of nervousness around it? More just, not the not the, like, Clothing removal part, mm. I think more just like, am I, am I, is what I'm putting on stage good and entertaining? Yeah. yeah. And, and that was just something I was very familiar with and as an actor, but it's something that, that as a performer you you embrace because mm-hmm. you need that little exhilaration, that, that what I call good nerves or good yeah. energy yeah. before stage. Like if I'm complacent, I'm not going to be mm. putting my best work on stage. Yeah. You know, I need, I need that little kick. That little sense of just yeah. like there's fear. a it, it's there's an interesting concept called optimal anxiety ah, where you okay. obviously right down right down at the start you you're in your comfort zone you you're not doing you're not doing anything and then as you add more stress and add more pressure mm. your anxiety levels go up but also your performance levels go up as well yeah. because you're more focused you're more switched on yeah. you're almost getting into that flow There's state more at stake, so yeah, yeah yeah but it's like it is like a uh, parabolic curve and mm. talking maths and science so <laughs> you get to that point of optimal anxiety and then if you're adding more stress and more layers in there then actually your performance starts to decrease because right. those anxiety levels peak up too high and then obviously if you push too far beyond that then things just crash and you end up in a whimpering ball on yeah the, in the fetal position yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's um like it sounded like you you have kind of worked 
your way up progressively a mm. little little by little to yeah. get to that point where you're like, okay, I can get to the state of I know where almost my optimal anxiety level is Absolutely. to put on a just to crush it. Yeah, and, yeah. and often that will sometimes like like when I did I did a, comp- a burlesque competition called um, Grand Tees New Zealand, um, which I won. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> by the way. Um, and so that I'm just thinking back and when when I was the most ball of nerves with burlesque, and it was because there was a competition element to this show, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and so that was probably days of days of feeling nervous and and trying to prepare and yeah and and obviously it turned out well um but but like normally on stage it is just before I hit the stage yeah that I would get that sense of energy um but then within within burlesque I'm always looking to kind of with a new act to challenge myself you know like um I am quite a sort of combo of classic and comedic um and so to challenge myself I wanted to learn to try a more more typically classic dance based routine without a narrative because that is not where my strength is Mm -hmm. and I purely did it to just to see if I could and it took me three four five times as long to to actually nail that routine just in terms of choreography and feeling like it was at the level um, of being able to put it on stage and it was very frustrating during the creating process but ultimately it turned into an act that I adore and I'm so like proud of myself for doing that mm. um, because it's something I didn't think that I would be good at yeah 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 why why is that kind of sense of challenge important for you because I never want to feel complacent doing burlesque burlesque should not be like how i feel when i go to my day job you know Mm -hmm. if it starts becoming feeling like work um then then what's the point you know like i want it it's a passion and it is and i work hard at it and i but but i enjoy that work when it you know but if if it slips into that like oh i've got to do a show tonight you know, and, and and if I was doing, and if I kept on the same sort of trajectory of just just doing acts that I could easily churn out that work to my strengths, then I feel like it would um, get into that zone. Mm. So it's important to to kind of yeah to present yourself with what seems like something that that you can't do. And just give it a whirl, and because the reward from achieving it is just so exhilarating. I think. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it stops the growth process if you're not yeah. challenging. You're not challenging yourself on a on a regular basis, and yeah. actually, what was once exciting becomes mundane mm. for us. I think we're like humans are kind of hardwired to actually keep pushing and keep striving for the next thing. But yeah. actually, once you step out of your comfort zone and do something that was was challenging. Once you've done it 20, 30, 40, 50 times, you're like, actually, I can – this is almost automatic now. I can, I can yeah. just keep doing it. Just the act of – yeah, it's something you have to practice, isn't it? Like mm. the act of recognizing that fear and that challenge in front of you and going, it's okay, I understand where I'm at, it's going to be hard. We'll just do it step by step. Like that's a muscle that we – that you need to exercise. Exercise, yeah, yeah. 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 A muscle that I need to exercise is learning how to relax and not do stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think because I kind of over, I'm a very busy person. Ever since high school, I was, you know, had extracurriculars and I've been like that mm. f- um, just forever. Yeah. So, is yeah. that something that you enjoy doing, having lots of stuff going on, or is that something there's almost an obligation that you feel uh, to do that? Sometimes, I mean, I am a people pleaser and I think I could benefit from saying no more. Yeah. But Are you uncomfortable I, saying no? Yes. I don't like letting people down. Yeah. Um, but having said that, if I take, agree to do a project, I will see it through. I, mm-hmm. There's nothing I hate more than flakiness. <laughs> yeah. I find that so challenging to like, because I've, you know, like I think everyone's been let down at some point in that way. 
Um, someone says they're going to do something, they don't follow through, and then you mm. pick up the slack. So if I agree to do something, I will always complete it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it stimulates me. I like to be busy. I find that energizes me. There is a tipping point where sometimes I get very overwhelmed by what I've taken on, and um, I sacrifice my own well-being to complete these things that I've committed to. Mm. Um, so most of the time the balance is okay, but sometimes it gets a bit off and I get very burnt out, um, and I suffer, but the people that I've committed to helping or, you know, whatever, um, will always get the the product or the service or, you know, um, but yeah, I definitely could yeah i'm a people pleaser yeah. and that is a good thing and a bad thing yeah i think that's a, it's a challenge that a lot of people have and, and myself as well is that mm. kind of finding the how much is too much mm. to to do and to and to give as well um yeah. and i'm getting better at identifying mm. kind of where where that sits for me and how i'm how i'm feeling and listening to my body with that and yeah. thinking Actually, I I just need to take a little bit of time to, bit of me time, just yeah. to kind of rest and restore and do the things, do some stuff that energizes me and uh, kind of gives gives back to me. Um, and I think it's it's something for me that I kind of notice in my body now mm. is that I'm feeling a bit more run down or I'm feeling like I, my concentration levels aren't aren't quite there mm. um, that I need to I need to stop and I need to take a step back and maybe need to say no to a few things mm. how do you kind of identify when that happens mm. with you or is it usually when it's slightly too late um, yeah like, like you've said I've have gotten better over the years at saying no or just identifying more how much time a project will take and mm-hmm. just just being a bit better at planning and time management yeah um i think for me when i notice it again it is and definitely in the body um it's just that general state of i i will i will get a general state of like a low level anxiety yeah <laughs> like that feeling of of just being kind of stretched very thin and you're not actually able to do any of the things well you know Mm. if you're juggling too many things it's like you can't actually do any of them well like they're all suffering and you're suffering so um yeah I but again I find it quite hard to once I'm in that zone to to relax like my mind will just be a buzz so um I kind of have to force myself to watch the Real Housewives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just in de-stress. And de-stress, decompress. Um, definitely, like, keeping a routine of um, exercise helps, I think, that mind-body connection. It really does help me unwind. Mm. Um, and that's really important, I think. Just keep, just maintaining um, date, like, through the week, just some sense of routine. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. And yeah, I think you, I mean, you, you talked about that kind of low level background anxiety as well. And that's yeah. not the anxiety that I was talking about before in I terms know. of the optimal that's anxiety. The bad but anxiety. We want that, <laughs> we want the, that kind of acute uh, anxiety around yeah. around increasing performance, but that, that yeah. kind of constant low level that, stuff I feel is just like that's wearing. My, my body screaming at me to pay attention mm-hmm, when I get mm-hmm. that level of, and it doesn't happen very often. Like I'm not someone. I would say who suffers from anxiety, mm. um, but I, on occasion I have had it, and it's when I haven't been listening to my body, and it's like I feel like my body is shaking, like my mind. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, listen, stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's when it's yeah, because I tend to sort of bottle things and distract myself and just not, you know. Mm. Um, and I think with that you can you can go and distract yourself with stuff and it'll take your mind off it, but it actually doesn't get rid of that yeah. kind of background stress yeah. or background anxiety that 100%. you actually need to stop and address that and actually say, Cool, I'm I'm feeling this yeah. stress, I'm feeling this anxiety. I felt it before, I know what it is. It's because yeah. I'm trying to push a little bit too hard yeah. in a whole lot of different areas. I need to 
step back, take a bit of take a bit of me time. And for me now, that could be as simple as just kind of having a couple of days just doing routine stuff and doing a bit of stuff like making sure that I'm exercising, mm. making sure that I go to bed early mm. and that I'm eating really, really healthily. Yeah. Um, and then actually I find that I can kind of refocus myself after after a little bit of that. Every, every now and then I need to take a longer break, but I think that the fact that I'm getting better at recognizing when it's starting to happen mm. means that I can just kind of refocus and switch switch off for a little bit. Yeah. And then come back to it afterwards. Yeah, I find I'm quite a, in many ways, pretty simple in terms of getting back on track. Like, some, like if I haven't had enough sleep, I don't even, like, <laughs> yeah. I am not even, I might as well not turn up to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? And luckily it doesn't happen very often. Like, I keep on top of that. But, um, yeah, like, food, sleep is just, if I don't have those things sorted then I'm a just an absolute shell of a person mm, mm. <laughs> so yeah I think just bringing it back to basics yeah. is so important yeah yeah, yeah and I yeah. think yeah I'm the same it's food it's sleep it's it's moving and it's yes. engaging in beneficial relationships with with people yeah um like hanging out with loved ones coming and having interesting conversations like this I find yeah. quite energizing yeah as yeah. well so just yeah. kind of going going a little bit deeper and engaging with yeah with people. And, you know, some people are the opposite, probably not with the food and sleep thing, but with, <laughs> with yeah. the engaging with people like that, it can be taxing mm. for introverts, you know, yeah. like that is actually takes quite a bit of um, strength and courage to just go yeah. to a social engagement and yeah. then they need to actually retreat and mm. just decompress. Whereas, mm. yeah, I find I need, like if I'm stuck, you know, without – talking to people I start to lose my mind I need I need to interact you know I'm I need to connect um, yeah whether it's strangers or loved ones or you know yeah yeah so I've yeah very very much identify with that <laughs> cool cool I think there was a there was kind of an interesting path to go down there with you I yeah. want to bring it back a little bit to uh to burlesque and one of the things that you mentioned before was that you don't you don't incorporate too many high kicks into your routine. <laughs> yeah. And we talked about before we started recording that you've actually, you've got a, had a hip replacement. I and know. I can't imagine that there's too many burlesque performers <laughs> in New Zealand, let alone worldwide, that have had a no. hip replacement. In fact, sometimes I bill myself as the bionic woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, or the porcelain doll yeah. sometimes works too, because I do have it. It's a titanium and porcelain um, oh, cool. thing. So, yeah, that's quite a fun fact. I am, most people don't know a young person who's had this kind of operation. I mm. think it's probably more common than most people realize, but it's still not that common. Like, the yeah. literature that they gave me was all geared towards old people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I found that quite cha challenging because I was sort of like not at that level. You know, they were saying that my recovery time would be six, seven weeks, and I was back rearing to go after two weeks. And, yeah, so um, I feel a 10 times better than I did before I had mm. the operation. Like, in terms of how it affected me on stage, the adrenaline would get me through. I actually found it harder to walk around day to day than I did performing on stage. Yeah. Um, but then I would have to, like, they, after I would get off stage, it would be, I'd have to crank the painkillers. Mm. And that wasn't good. I did not like relying on on painkillers at all just to get by day to day um after the operation it's just been incredible like yeah i will never be able to do the splits or do high kicks i couldn't even do them before i had the operation so <laughs> <Yeah>. whatever <laughs> um but yeah i feel i'm fitter than i've ever been it's actually made me extremely um focused on looking after my body in that way like I, i'm i'm quite a petite person i, I was never someone who had to worry about weight gain or anything I could eat just I just had a fast metabolism I was just one of those lucky people yeah. who um who could eat whatever they wanted and stay slim and so I never really exercised that you know like I, I mean I rode horses for many years and I and I'm an active person anyway just day-to-day -day walking around the city and whatnot so I never went to the gym I hated the thought of it but um now that I've had my 
operation, I'm really focused on just maintaining that muscle strength and that hip and protecting it. And yeah, so I I'm, I feel really lucky in that respect that it's given me that that focus mm-hmm. to to maintain it. And now I couldn't live without my extend bar classes <laughs> three to four times a week. It's yeah. just like I will, I will, yeah, my body craves it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, it's, it's obviously an unfortunate, uh, event to kind of cause that focus shift for you. But I think sometimes these, uh, obviously these things happen for, uh, for a reason sometimes that, um, that you'd obviously rather that they didn't, but it sounds like again, you've (laughs) you've got taken the best of it, but also you've found something else that you really enjoy because of it. Exactly. And I still feel extremely lucky like that I could just get an operation bing bang bong it's all done like Mm. some people there was just such an obvious solution to my to my issue Mm. um some people have just don't it's not that simple they're Mm. they're kind of having to struggle with pain day to day and being shifted around specialists and they can't figure out what the problem is or you know it's a band-aid solution whatever like I'm just lucky that they were like right you need a hip replacement here's your hip replacement Government will pay for it. Off you go. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just, because I'm still young and healthy in every other respect, I just was just back on board with life. I actually had more of a zest for movement and just life in general. Like it gave, it increased my quality of life so yeah. much. Awesome. Yeah. And that, I mean, they're the people that you should be putting hip replacements into is the ones that. I know. The those, ones that I, I think they look, my, the cynical part of me goes, oh, they looked at me and thought, She's lot. There's lots more taxpayer dollars left in her, so we need to get her, <laughs> we need to get her fit and working yeah, again yeah, and back yeah. in the workforce. <laughs> yeah, part of it. I think the that probably does come well, into the when decision they're having as to well. Look at, you know, like who does does John deserve one or does Jane deserve one? And it's like you're looking at just just age and severity, and like you you kind of have to mm. um, take yeah. those things into yeah. account. Yeah. yeah, how much and how much quality of life you're going to get out of this? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Doing doing one on a hundred year old person that has yeah. probably a couple of years left is maybe not the. It's already had eight knee replacements. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe not the the best. Uh, yeah. Use of resources, but I mean, who's to who's to say? It's made really? me very thankful that we have free healthcare mm. in New Zealand. I think it's not until you actually benefit from the system. Up until that point, you can easily take it for granted. Yeah, 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 and you can almost be a little bit anti the system as well. Yeah, uh, that your taxpayer dollars are going going towards to someone some, else. Exactly. Yeah. So I felt like, yeah, all those taxpayer dollars that I've been putting into the system, I got my money's worth that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They're not they're not cheap operations. Actually, I mean, if you can see, you just should think of paying taxes and insurance policy. Really, mm. you know, like you never know when. You're gonna need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, it keeps the keeps the roads relatively level it most does. of the time as well. And yep. actually, I think that is probably a nice segue to yeah. back to comfort zones as okay. well. And you're, <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a burlesque performer, as I, as I mentioned before, it's it's something that'd be quite confronting and uncomfortable for people. Yeah. Um, for most people, for definitely. Me, yeah, I, I would find that confronting. I would yep. imagine. Um, I went to the shut up and dance class the other week. Did you? And there was I a, love there was shut a, up and dance. It's great. There was yeah. a bit of there's a bit of twisting and a bit of bit thrusting. Of yeah, a bit of hip shaking. <laughs> I was all right one way, but not so good. Yeah, the, not so good the side. other way. I was like, oh, oh, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but so that's that's relatively comfortable for you. But yeah. something that you find uncomfortable is driving. Yes, I'm so ashamed to admit this, but I. I'm 30 and I cannot drive a car. <laughs> what I've done with this is I have left it so long that I've built up a real anxiety around it. I think I am just, I just didn't, I just didn't do enough lessons when I was in, in my teens. Um, I blame my mother for it, but I probably shouldn't because she just was a terrible teacher. She was, she would freak me out. She was like a, like, hand on, on, on your hand on the clutch kind of, a, oh, you're going to kill someone is what yeah. she said to me once. Um, <laughs> so, um, 
so that kind of put me off and then I just sort of didn't get around to it and then I moved to Wellington and you can quite easily live in Wellington without a car mm. and um, I've had old boyfriends try and teach me and take me out to quiet car parks and just and they say to me like you're actually fine like you're you know like you've got the basics down and you just need to get out there and do it and I and I know that in my head but I'm just like freaking out and I should just go and get professional lessons and just you know just do it but and I know it's something I will have to confront eventually mm. but I just haven't needed to in my life yeah. so far um and it's yeah it's going to get to a point where I'm just gonna have to yeah. shut up and what, drive yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would it take for you to get to that point um that's a good question. I think it has to come from me. It can't mm. come from someone telling me to do it. Like, it's like, yeah, like I just have to feel the fear and do it anyway, which mm. is a classic old saying, but one I actually find really useful is acknowledge the fear, understand that, you know, there's a lot of anxiety to unpack, but if I went to a professional driving teacher that they would be experienced dealing with people that, have this because I know I'm not the only one <laughs> mm. um, and understand and just sort of keep my eye on the prize that is like this is going to be a real benefit to you and your life and the fact that you've faced something that you've been avoiding for your whole life so I will get there yeah I'm not there yet but I know that it will have to happen I yeah. can't go through life without learning <laughs> how to <laughs> drive a damn car I can like my um a friend of mine, her mother was trying to teach me because she was a much more sort of calmer influence. And she used to say to me, like, how can you sit on a wild beast that is a horse and let that wild beast run through the paddocks and over the over over obstacles and you can't sit behind a car, behind a wheel and drive a car? And I was like, I don't know, I just... I'd rather, mm. I'd rather ride a horse everywhere, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds much more appealing. Interesting. And like people probably in Wellington wouldn't look at you too strangely if you were just riding a horse around. I hope not. I, I think we should bring <laughs> I, it back. That could be an bring interesting. Bring back the horse and cart. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe test that out and tell us how you how you go with that. But I, I I like the I like what you're talking there about comfort zones and kind of stepping out of it. Yeah. And it's the, the way that you're thinking about it there is, is applicable to kind of any other situation where you need to set, step out of your comfort zone, whether that's mm. getting up and doing public speaking or whether that's kind of taking on a new challenge that you, that you haven't before is that mm. acknowledging that that fear is there mm. and then kind of working working with that mm. to kind of step through the step through the process, but also the fact that it it needs to be something that comes from it in you as well. That's yeah. important for, for you. Yeah. That other people telling you to do things gets you so far, or sometimes it can be helpful. It, it once. makes me want. It turns me into a rebel, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. not naturally a rebel, okay. I would say. Yeah. But someone telling you to do something, you automatically yeah. just go, yeah. "No, nah, why should I?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, you know. It you do, know that and, does sound rebellious. You know, and it's like it's like you can't tell someone like. People who generally smokers, I'm not a smoker, but, you know, people, most of them want to quit, right? Yeah, someone and, telling them. Someone telling them is just not going to cut it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. They know that, they're, 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 that it's terrible for them. Mm. They know. Yeah. <laughs> I know that not being able to drive is not um, practical for my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'm sure that you, uh, yeah, when you start driving... Uh, I, I will send us send, uh, send us a picture and I'll, oh I'll throw it up on no, not while you're driving. No. <laughs> Get someone to take a picture of you while you're driving. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, we'll we'll put it up on go, put it up online. God damn done it. Yeah, yeah. Um Bailey, I'm just mindful of the mindful of the time and I I've we got to probably chat all day. Yeah, we, we could, we could. <laughs> I wanna just ask you a couple of questions that I ask everybody towards the end of our conversation. Okay. The first is, can you tell me about the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Oh, um, okay. The last uncomfortable thing I probably did was, um, one of my other side hustles is I work sort of behind the scenes and putting on shows as well. And I was asked by a dear friend of mine to 
be the publicist for her show um, at the Opera House. And that was something that I, well, I mean, at first I was very flattered that she thought that I could do the job. It's not something that I had ever done before per, per se, but when I sort of broke it down and thought, what will it take to fulfill this role? I thought, okay, I think my skills align with this, but I also just leapt in not having a single goddamn clue and just making kind of making it up as I went along. And that was scary. I didn't think that I could um, do that job or, or like I felt the I felt a pressure to, you know, like I didn't want to let her down. She was a friend of mine. She I have a lot of respect for what she does as a producer. Um, and I just said yes because I thought it would be a really good challenge um, and something that I could kind of see myself doing in the future and maybe wanting, maybe sort of turning that into more of a, of a, career as well um and we we did it like we we essentially as a publicist you're advertising a show to sell tickets you know um and we we like achieved our goal of filling out the opera house for this amazing show so um that's something that I'm super proud of um and and it and she kind of it's not actually something that I thought I would want to do until she presented the opportunity to me so I think for me, it, um, I'm very much a seize, seize the moment, um, take those opportunities that kind of come from a little bit left field. Yeah. Yeah. But it also made me realize how much I love being on stage as well. Like, <laughs> I was sort of like, I mean, I was in the show also, but yeah. um, there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes. And I was just like, oh, I just want to turn up and put on my, just my corset and just shimmy my way across that stage yeah yeah, yeah. but what, which was cool because it kind of reaffirmed my love for performing yeah yeah awesome what is the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you okay well other than driving because that's just a looming black hole that's yeah. always hovering over me um i am going to move to edinburgh cool. next year um it is something moving living overseas is something that i've always wanted to do um, and I just haven't got around to it. And so the idea of just unpacking, just sort of like packing up my life and moving across the world. I don't know anyone in the city. I'm just doing it because I love the city. Um, I'm terrified and excited all at once. And I know that the closer I get to my deadline of moving, I'm going to be um, just really get really sentimental about Wellington and my friends and you know and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna start doubting my decision I can feel that looming already but I just have to try and just um, embrace that fear of the unknown and know that like that I've stuck to this goal that I've had since I was like 19 years old <laughs> yeah yeah and it's kind of a now or never situation in terms of visas as well so yeah. I've really yeah. pushed it to the last <laughs> very final final moments so yeah that I'm really excited apprehensive and just all of all of these things at once about cool. that decision yeah. I'm sure it'll be a, a whole heap of fun though yeah and it, it, it's gonna take my performing opportunities to the next level so mm. I really want to be based in Europe and just do shows over there and just just experience the crazy scene in Berlin and France and wherever yeah. you know yeah. awesome yeah Bailey, we've talked about this a little bit already, um, but do you have any other strategies that you use when you're approaching uncomfortable situations? I think this might be my theatre training speaking again, and it's a little bit of an improv saying, but don't think, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, just, it's, it's sort of tied to that fear thing as well. Like, right before you get on stage, you're kind of getting that, the the energy and the and the anxiety is coming to the forefront and your mind can start, you know, um, kind of playing tricks on you and, mm. and planting seeds of doubt. And I think that you just have to have a bit of faith in the work that you've done. Yeah. That's actually step maybe step yeah. number one. Is <laughs> I am very much a um, practice makes perfect planner, preparer, you know, yeah. I will not I will I will be rehearsing an act um, and making sure that I'm not. I'm not gonna put something half baked on stage. So have a bit of faith in the in the work that you've done to get to this point, and then you get out there and you kind of just let autopilot take over. 
So I think that maybe, I hope that that could apply to other situations, whether Mm. it be public speaking, you know, like if you're apprehensive about it, like put in the work to prepare, put in the preparation and then at that, at the final moment, just have a bit of faith and, and don't think, just do it. And you'll, you'll probably, you'll make it through and you won't, you'll look back on it and think, did that even happen? (laughs) You know, it's kind of that, like performing is like a drug. It's releasing the same kind of like chemicals in your brain as, you know, like it gives, it's like, it's, you kind of have to be a a little bit of a narcissist to be a performer. (laughs) I think most people have an element of, of like vanity and narcissism in them mm-hmm. but I think performers are an interesting mix of you know like you, you have you you're on stage and people are looking at you and you're there to entertain but you have to enjoy that yeah. to a point yeah to, to be to unleash be, your inner narcissist yeah, yeah totally and milk it and just and also fake it till you make it I'm a huge believer in faking it till you're making it there is a lot of you can easily fake confidence and be screaming on the inside mm. and and you get to a point where it just becomes oh suddenly I am confident yeah you know? Yeah. So yeah, I would say plan, prepare, don't think, fake it till you make it. Yep. Cool. Very good advice. <laughs> Bailey, I've got a couple more quick questions for you, but okay. one is easy, one's maybe a little bit more challenging. Um, but I want to say thank you for taking the time to sit down and have a chat with me this morning. It's been it's been super enjoyable. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's been <laughs> a pleasure. But I also want to say thank you as well for being so open about your your different comfort zones as well and um, getting up there and, and entertaining people and being confident and comfortable with that, but then also just acknowledging that driving scares the hell out of you <laughs> yeah. as well. And I think that's, that's, really, that's really cool to see that people do have different comfort zones for most mm. people. There's probably that would be switched around. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> I like to go against the grain. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. Thank you for thank you for going against the grain <laughs> with that and uh, and sharing that with us today. Our first question for you mm. is: If people are interested in you and the stuff that you do, where can they go to find out more? Or even are you doing any performances before you head away to Edinburgh? Um, oh, I definitely will be. Not not this year. I'm yep. sort of trying to wind down for 2017, but mm-hmm. I will be doing performances in 2018 in Wellington. I don't have exact dates or shows just yet, okay. um, but I'm going to try and get as much perform- performing in before I go. Cool. Um, and yeah, so the, the easiest place to find me is on Instagram, yeah. um, and it's Fanciforia Foxglove, which mm, I'll put a link. I'll put a link to that in the notes <laughs> yeah. for the show. Follow the link. Yeah, um, you can find me on Facebook as well. But I'm yeah, I'm predominantly an Instagram gal. Um, I do a lot of pinup style photo shoots and things as well. So burlesque is very much in the visual medium. So Instagram suits us well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, d- um, find me on Instagram. You'll. I always post, you know, um, previews of where I'm performing and things. Um, a sh- great show. I just can I do a little plug? Go for it. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a great show called The Menagerie, which is a monthly. Oh, actually, next year it's going to be every two months. A variety show, um, and there is burlesque, poetry, circus, comedy, um, all sorts of different styles, and that's a great way if you're interested in not just burlesque, but any kind of live performance of the sort of more alternative nature. It's not your opera. It's not your ballet necessarily. Sometimes there is opera. (laughs) Um, I think that's a really great show to just check out. And every, every show is different because there's always a new lineup. So, um, yeah, I'm cool. hoping to perform at another one of those. Yeah, really whereabouts where do they do them? Um, it's at the Fringe Bar. Okay. Um, and then every year there's a fancy special one at the Opera House. Um, nice. That's the show I was doing publicity for. Can you tell that I am a publicist? I'm <laughs> <laughs> always so good at plugging yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for the extra, extra special fancy show at the Opera House as well later in the year. Awesome. Final question for you. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners oh. with this week? Oh, fun. Um, 
Okay. I, I think I should probably make it a burlesque-related challenge. Okay. I'm not going to say find an audience and do a striptease, unless you want to, in which case, <laughs> do it. Um, Could be an maybe, in- interesting Instagram live okay, video okay. for me. <laughs> maybe my challenge will be try and dress a little bit theatrically day to day. Like, just put something with a bit of flair on, like something you might only reserve to a dress-up party. Just do it. Just walk down Cuba Street and do it for no other reason. Mm. Like I always get asked, oh, where, where are you going? What, do you, what event do you have on? Nothing. Just life. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, life's too short to, to wear boring clothes. Like, fashion should be fun and silly and frivolous and you shouldn't, you should be, you know, an air hostess one day and then a um, 1940s pin-up the next, you know. Mm. For me specifically, <laughs> not necessarily everyone. <laughs> I don't find know. your own. I don't know if I'd pull jam. that pull that off. Eh? Um, <laughs> whatever your jam is, just crank it up, heighten it. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that would be my challenge. Cool, I, and I think that's quite a that's quite a cool, uncomfortable challenge <laughs> yeah. for, for everybody. And then you to might do. terrify Kiwi men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Bailey, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed Bailey and I having a chat today. Uh, If you're in Wellington and you get a chance to go down and watch her perform before she heads off to Edinburgh, uh, I think that'd be that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, You're in for some some top quality entertainment there. And I hope you enjoyed our chat today. Um, I thought it was was pretty interesting. I had a great time speaking with Bailey and. I'm looking to do a couple of kind of live podcast events next year and Bailey says she's keen to be one of the people that are involved in that, which is um, is awesome as well. So I'll let you guys know how that, uh, how that comes along uh, so that hopefully you can pop along to that as well. Again, before we head off today, guys, um, just remember if you want to learn how to make simple yet professional videos, head over to the guys from howtomakesimplevideos.com and enter the discount code uncomfortable for a hundred bucks off your course. If you're not into making videos, um, there are a couple of other ways that you can support the show. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app uh, so that you get new episodes every Tuesday and a new mini episode every Friday. If you haven't listened to the one from last Friday yet, make sure you go back and do that. Five expert strategies to help you get uncomfortable today. Uh, If you've listened to a couple of shows, then leave us a review. It helps us to get into more ears and minds. Um, One of the biggest things you can do is hit subscribe while you're there. So also share the show out on social media or with your mates. Um, And I want to thank uh, everyone that has donated already on the Patreon page as well, www.patreon.com slash uncomfortable is okay. It just helps us with with hosting and uh, the other associated costs with running a podcast. Well, I hope you guys also enjoy the challenge this week, dressing a little bit theatrically. Uh, I'll be looking to pick out an outfit and then hopefully put some pictures up on uh, on social media as well. Thanks to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music and thank you guys for getting uncomfortable with Bailey and I today. Thank you.